Hi, everybody. This is Mary Ellen LePianca, co-chair of the Gloucester Historical Commission. And I'm here today with uh, my colleague, Bill Remsen, and our guest, Prudence Fish, and they will introduce themselves. And today we're going to talk about uh, how to preserve the historical value or historical integrity of your property and, and how to research the history of your house in order to find out what the historical value of it is. Um, so um, let me let my um, partners here uh, introduce themselves. Bill? Yes. Hi, I'm Bill Remsen. I'm an architect and I'm on the Gloucester Historical Commission and on the Historic District Commission along with our guest, Prudence Fish. Um, I'm Prudence Fish, and I'm on uh, the Historic District Commission. I was on for many years and then off for 10 years, and now I'm back on. And I'm concerned about uh, preservation in Gloucester and, and what to do to protect houses and preserve them. And let's add that Prue is the author of an important book about historic houses on uh, Cape Ann, um, and it, it's a best-selling book. In fact, I think it's out of print, no? <laughs> it, it has gone out of print, and the first week it was out of print, they were on Amazon for $1,000. Oh, my goodness. I don't think anybody bought one, <laughs> and they're now down to a 100 Oh, dear. And I didn't even have any extras myself, and so I went on eBay and found one for, a used one for $20, oh. which I bought for myself. <laughs> Good for you. And the title of that book is Antique Houses of Cape Ann. Of and Gloucester. Of Gloucester. Of Gloucester. And the mayor who moved them, or is that uh, a subtitle? The, or? It, the subtitle I, I thought was awfully long, but I ended up liking it, and I don't think I can quote it exactly, okay. but it was something about the development of, of the harbor mm -hmm. and the mayor that moved so many houses, right. which is right. part of the story of Gloucester, Gloucester mm -hmm. Houses is the mayor. Right. But that, that book is available, of course, in the library. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's still accessible, available to people. And you have a blog uh, that um, describes antique houses and uh, the, their history and the history of their owners, which is very interesting with photographs and so on. And what is the URL for that? Uh, it's uh, Antique Houses of Gloucester and Beyond. And I've... I've been so busy doing other things, I've gotten kind of behind on posting, but I think I have about 85 posts mm -hmm. that I've done over the last few years. And I and consult them regularly. They're wonderfully written and researched, and the photographs are great. Well, there it's it's fun to do them and then follow the statistics to see how many people are reading them. Some are more popular than others, uh -huh. but... Um, well, maybe more more now that no pe more people will know about it, maybe there will be more people going to that uh, site uh, to read about it. Well, even though I haven't posted anything for a few months, every day there are maybe 35 or so people that check in. Interesting. And um, there's been over 90,000 hits since mm -hmm. I started. Bravo. I, I, uh, I would like to start our discussion with an anecdote. Uh, from my own experience, um, in 1997, I bought a house in, in Gloucester on Hammond Street, and I did a little bit of research on the history of it, um, 
mostly in the assessor's office, uh, finding out when it was built. And that was when I discovered that a lot of the properties in Gloucester have a, a built date of 1900, which isn't accurate. And uh, so when I was looking in the engineer's uh, vault at old maps um, from the archives in the basement of City Hall, I found a map with uh, the footprint of my house in on an 1870 map. So then I, but I couldn't find any other information about it or who had lived there or whatever. It's a um, Victorian house and it has some interesting architectural features, which I didn't know about at the time because it was before I had joined the Historical Commission or learned anything about uh, architecture. Um, and as a result of my ignorance, I actually. Um, damaged some of the historical value of my house and I did that by having vinyl replacement windows put uh, in uh, all along the shame. north <laughs> all, all along the north side on both uh, floors and the only thing that I kept the reason was because you know it was the old fashioned sash windows they were 2 over 2 and they had broken, all the ropes were broken, and the leads had fallen and things like that. And when I tried to get it repaired, the cost of having a single window repaired was a lot. And I didn't know that I should bite the bullet and have it done. <laughs> I just said, oh, the heck with this, I'm going to replace them. Uh, but I did keep the original windows um, in the, the so-called coffin uh, windows in the front, the little... Um, sort of annex that sticks out towards the street, which apparently historically was used to display a coffin. Um, that's why they call them a coffin window. Am I wrong about that? That's an old wives' tale oh, that I've it? never heard before. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> that's another one. That I In my book, I, I have um, made a list of all of these things with boarding rooms and, and mm -hmm. mortgage buttons and all of that sort of thing. But I've never heard of a coffin window. Oh, isn't that funny? Oh, my gosh. I'm not even sure where I got that. But anyway, um, if I knew then what I know now, I would have treated my house really differently. Um, and I would have taken uh, greater pains uh, to preserve its historical integrity. And I would have made a bigger investment in it. Um, and, you know, therefore maintained its uh, price should I ever decide to sell it. Uh, but how do you research the history of a, of a house? Well, there, there are different ways to approach it. Uh, sometimes I will look at the old maps, which are online, mm -hmm. and try to find the footprint to be sure it's the same house and kind of get a head start and then do the deed research back from that point. Uh, now, where or, is the deed research done? It's, they're all online. Mm -hmm. uh, the deeds for Essex County, this does not go for other counties in, or hold true for other counties in Massachusetts, but in Essex County, the deeds from about 1640 to today are all online. They, there's none missing. It's all there. So uh, people would just have to uh, Google the uh, registry, Essex County Registry of Deeds? And they would come to the uh, website. It's SalemDeeds.com. SalemDeeds.com. And that's it's it. very, that's very it. easy. Yep. And you need um, a book and page to get started. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I go to the Gloucester Assessors. 
records. Okay, so step one is going to the assessor's record to get the uh, designation of what of what the deed numbers are, the book right. and page of the deed. And and then you yeah. go to SalemDeeds.com then, and mm-hmm. you you um, it it takes a little bit to get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, the process and yep. and finding your way to what you want, right? But it soon becomes very um, second nature. Yeah, it can go uh, quickly through. That I found that also. Once you figure out figure it out, you can do everything very efficiently. The assessor's records, for example, are vgsi.com. Mm-hmm. and and then when you get into th- that program, you have to still uh, find your way mm-hmm. through it. But there's a lot of information there. So once you get uh, onto the, the Registry of Deeds website, you input the book and page number in order, and, and then do all the deeds come up in relation to that book and page? No, or does you'll, each get, one... you'll get the, the latest one, the for latest example. One. And at the end of the deed, mm-hmm. it will say, it will indicate that this is the same property that was conveyed from one person to another person. Previously. Um, and a previous mm-hmm. date yep. and another book and page number. Ah, so then you can look up that book and page number right. to go back in time. Yes. And keep doing it. The, you keep doing yeah. it and eventually you'll probably run into one that's missing mm-hmm. the next step. And oh. so then you have to go into an index and, and look for the name and right. just get creative in... in right, and do, doing keyword searches to try to, to to try to pick up the trace of that, uh, the track of deeds. Once in a while, I've done the house next door to see if I can ah. pick up the name when I'm really stuck. I, and you can get way back. Um, that one of the things uh, as you go back is that they're all uh, they become handwritten, and they you end up with deeds in very archaic language. Know ye by all these present and you know funny language like that, and they can yeah. it can be hard to interpret. Um, well, you get used to it's kind of standard boilerplate, yep. so you get you get used to it, and you yeah. pick up the key words and, and keep on going. The other thing in the colonial deeds is that um, the property lines are all described in terms of how many feet it is from this tree to that rock or to this stream. A pile of rocks. Yep. <laughs> and so nowadays, I mean, there would be absolutely no way of identifying the property lines of, uh, you know, well, using Well, the funniest one I ever found was on Essex Avenue, and it was... Uh, uh, a house that had had a lot of land, this early house around 1770 or so, mm-hmm. and one of the boundaries was the rock called Moses Brace Tavern. Oh my goodness! So you wonder what was going on yep. at the rock in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Moses Brace a watering Tavern. hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So some of them are pretty yeah, far out. They are. But that's that was the it, real. It also one. gets very complicated. I remember looking at old deeds in Anasquam. Uh, and uh, there were lots of rights of way. Everybody had to have a way to get to the co- to the shore, mm-hmm. and everybody had a little slice of Lobster Cove. And you had to have a each family had to have a pathway down there. So there were all kinds of variances for uh, rights of way and uh, cart 
cartage pads and things like this. Um, so bits of property being conveyed here and there. And then when they got around to actually building roads, you had you know a couple of dozen different properties that had to give up little bits in order to make make it possible for a road to go through. So it can get get complicated, but it's very interesting. And another thing that's interesting is to find out who lived in your house in the past. And what, um, what they did. What they did. And sometimes yeah. when you're stuck, uh, the, more recently, there have been probate records online. So there are probate records from also about 1640 mm-hmm. uh, until the 1880s and I assume they're going to keep coming forward but right now it ends in the 1880s Mm. and you will find they're fabulous you'll find a will Uh and it may describe the property and who's it's being willed to Mm -hmm. so and does that um, part of it and the other exciting part is the inventories of what was in the house what they owned for real estate and what was in the real estate Every very very detailed, and mm-hmm. those, when you find those, that's fabulous, and they are all online. They are. They're we right used to have down to, go to, the, to the number of pewter plates that you had, and the number mm-hmm. of quilts that you had, and things mm-hmm. like that. It is interesting, but now when you go into the probate records, how do you make your search there? Uh, well, because I don't think it, the uh, the lot number or page and the the deed number helps, does it? No, um, I belong to the. Uh, New England Historical and Genealogical Society in Boston Mm -hmm. and I go in through there but uh, because they're public records even if you don't belong you can't be denied but I'm not sure how people that don't belong get there. But you would have to know the name of the person that lived in your house and then you would make your keyword search based on that surname. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So that's another way to get information about your house and its history and who lived in it. And you mentioned quilts and so forth. Mm -hmm. Actually, the most valuable things that most of those um, early people owned were were fabrics, Mm -hmm. Um, bed hangings and and, uh, comforters and and so forth Mm -hmm. uh, and quilts were some of the most valuable things. They would be more valuable than a piece of furniture. Interesting. A lot more labor. Labor intensive, yes. Yeah. So then um, what about... What about understanding your house by looking at it as a piece of architecture? Before we get into that, can I just add something to the, the... this um, what I would call our archival research, which uh-huh. is which is key. Um, I found that particularly in the earlier periods, you can sometimes you can follow back in the records and and find a property which describe which has a house on it, but at some point the house is either torn down or moved mm-hmm. or, and physically moved away from the property. And uh-huh. so there may have been a house on the property in 1640, but it hasn't. It's there's no trace of it right. uh, in, you know, after about 1670 or 1690. It was very common to move houses and to attach houses uh, to other houses. So you might have various outbuildings and houses that are brought from different places and sort of glommed together right. Con- to make a... Or they burn down or the mm-hmm. land is subdivided and the house yeah. is somewhere right. where else. And that's um, the cause of a lot of mistaken dating people right. keep going back as long as it says the land and the house mm-hmm. and 
I, I hate to say it, but Ipswich, where I sold real estate for a long time and sold a lot of those houses, they, they all went by Waters History, which dated when a house first appeared on the lot. Uh-huh. It's not the same houses that are there now. No. Yep. I mean, in some cases, I, I found on a few cases it is, oh, but, yeah. but typically, I mean, very often it's not. Mm-hmm. Or the house... Either it's completely gone or it's been modified so much as to to be almost unrecognizable. Or, or it's a different house on a lot that previously had the house that, that uh, you were interested in. I think a lot of the historic houses in Beverly are like that where um, they'll say this is where so-and-so lived. Well, it was land that was deeded to him, but the house that's on it wasn't his and he never lived in it. It was his grandson's. You no, know, you're but exactly right. Yeah. In in Ipswich, um, I had listed a house that had a plaque on the front that said 1660, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And Abbott Cummings, who was the authority on early houses, um, a great man, had said that it was after 1709. Oh. And it seemed to be like a, a late first period house mm-hmm. uh, in maybe 1720 or 30. And uh, so when I listed it for sale, I told the owner that it wasn't the right date, and he immediately took the sign down. He wasn't oh. going to have any part of misrepresenting yeah. it. Good. He put it in the cellar under his workbench. The house <laughs> closed, and the next day I oh, drove no. by, and the sign was back <laughs> up, and it's still there today. And it was on a house tour last year, and they had 1660. Oh, dear. And that's that's what happens so you you have to be kind of dedicated to the truth in this well there's yes and and not so much today but but we all know about in the in the late 19th century and 20 early 20th century with the the colonial revival movements and things like that there was a lot of competition to to have the oldest house or Mm -hmm. to make your house right you know to to verify that it was older and older and older and i think a great number of, of these early first period houses are uh, optimistically dated. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and when people get around to actually using dendrochronology or something that's absolute on many of them, the, the dates suddenly uh, become 40, 50, 60, 100 years younger or, right. or more. Yeah. Now, you, you've uh, raised a couple of terms here that we need to explain. First of all, our listeners might not know about the sequence of s- historical styles that we have here in Gloucester. Uh, what is a first period house? A uh, first period house would be a house with a decorated frame with chamfers or a bead or something that would, and the beams were meant to be exposed. And they were smooth, they weren't rough-hewn, and they were decorated. And, and if, if it isn't decorated, in my opinion, it's not a first-period house. And if it is decorated, it is a first-period house, regardless of, of the, the date. And, and these are heavy timber frames, is what you're saying? Yes. As compared to more modern, two-by-four type of uh, stick construction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and do they have central chimneys, do they not, and a central doorway? Very often, yeah. or if it was a half house, it would be what we call three bays with mm-hmm. with a door on, on one end and two windows, right. um, either one story or two stories. 
And uh, were they, did they have basements, uh, cellars, or were they on uh, granite foundations or on the ground, or was there something about the foundation? Uh, maybe Bill. Yeah, can I, I think, that. I mean, this, at the very earliest periods, they were, they, I mean, when you think about it, digging a hole in the ground to store things is pretty inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And even if you have a, a house that doesn't have any foundation at all, you can still have a hole in the ground right. that you would use as a root cellar or mm-hmm. as, as extra storage. And so I, I would expect that most of these early houses would have had a informal or later formal cellar or basement. Mm-hmm. And even even by the mid-1600s, people are building fieldstone foundations and, and real cellars in under parts of their houses. Yeah, it could be partial. Mm-hmm. What, what dates would we have for first period houses? Well, I usually think it ends around seventeen thirty or so. I don't know yeah. what Bill's yeah, opinion I mean, seven, is. Seventeen forty is. I mean, I've seen some first period style houses up to about seventeen forty, but uh, and the and later ones often have what they call a quirk bead. It's not a big flat chamfer or a quarter round chamfer. It's I'm not just sure a, what a chamfer the, is. It's just a way to handle the edge of the, the corner of of oh, a corner. major timber, like ah. a summer beam down the middle of a of a let's say what we would call a living room. Mm-hmm. It, you 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 can you can you can round it. You can make it a, a quarter round. Mm-hmm. You can chamfer it, which is a bevel. There's there's a whole series of different styles mm-hmm. that are. Characteristic, characteristic of different periods. And, and mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, and they end with what they call a, a lamb's tongue chamfer stop, which is just kind of a carved flourish at uh-huh. the end of, of the chamfer to, yeah. to de- decorate it. By the time they got to the quirk beaded ones, I think they just kind of tapered off or just ended. Um, the... Um, a lot of details about this are in um, Abbott Lowell Cummings' book, The Timber Frame Buildings of New England, mm. which is the definitive book on, on tim- early timber frame it, structures. It is the, the Bible. It is okay. the Bible. So what is it again? It's the... Um, Framed Houses. Framed uh, Houses. Uh, of Massachusetts Bay. Oh, uh, that's but it's, it. Isn't it, say, first period? I don't recall the exact citation. No, I, I think that's the name... For, uh, Framed Houses of Massachusetts okay. Bay. And, and the author is, is Abbott Lowell Cummings, who unfortunately Abbott Lowell Cummings. Cummings, who was a professor at Yale and at BU mm-hmm. for many years and who died uh, just last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, the book is, he was the ultimate scholar on this subject, and mm-hmm. the book is full of beautiful illustrations. So if somebody wanted to see if their house was had some of these features they could look in this book and they would be able to recognize them. well it would be this would be an extremely good reference mm-hmm. because he he actually dates what he's drawing and uh-huh. so he says this is the 1710 stairway in perkins yep. house in Ipswich, ah, for example. so now you know what a 1710 stairway looks like exactly. excellent mm-hmm. exactly. so now you mentioned another term and that is dendrochronology i know that that is tree ring analysis but how does that work in dating a house well, uh, I guess maybe I'm oversimplifying, but uh, there are tree rings, and, and if you have uh, uh, a, be- a beam that uh, in framing in, in the house that goes out to the what they call the waney edge, and, and you can see the, the, the rings, uh, or they can take a sample that shows the rings, and on a drought year, it'll be a small ring, and on a, a wet year, it'll be bigger. And it gets more complicated than that. I, I don't know how, how they do it, but they can 
tell for this neck of the woods, for example, uh, when the drought seasons were or the years and, and arrive at a date, they even can tell what time of year the tree was felled, whether it was the spring of 1710 or the fall of 1710. And so they they come up with a date. They mm-hmm. seem to have held up pretty well. Oh yeah, no, they're yeah, very accurate. They're very I mean, accurate. They, yep. Yeah, I mean, you you they they people have been working on this for many years, and there are reference uh, uh, reference samples that that go back way before Columbus mm-hmm. in in the New World and in the Old World that go back. Well, actually, in the New World, parts of the New World goes back five thousand years mm-hmm. because of the bristlecone pines, and in the in the Old World, we go back. Uh, over four thousand years, and and so you look at that and you see the, the the repeating pattern of climatic change, and and then you can just if you have your little sliver, you you can just see where it fits in, right. and it'll tell you when that tree was alive. And as as Prue just said, if if the timber that you're sampling has the outside bark or the 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 that that was the bark that was on the tree when it died, mm-hmm. that that'll tell you when the tree died right if if you have a, a timber that's been been shaped and you don't have the outside uh, growth ring you 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 know when the tree was alive but you don't really know when it was cut down right so it, it's a little more vague right they, it's a little more vague but they can actually uh, through comparison with other trees in the environment they can often identify particular events oh, yes. like a very severe drought or an insect infestation that yes. affected all the trees in a similar way so then they can uh, calibrate to to these yeah. um, absolute yeah. dates it is a yeah. method of absolute yeah, dating it is yeah. and usually it, the the frame was raised uh, when the when it, the wood was green mm-hmm. so it's not I suppose there are exceptions. It's, it's of not course, like but the logs were lying around in the forest. Well, but 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 yeah. we, this is New England, full of cheap Yankees who were very often reusing old timbers or or pieces of oh, shipwrecks. Bill, I think you better take that back. Well, I'm we might have to, some I, cheap Yankees listening. Well, I'm a cheap Yankee, so I can say that. <laughs> the um, but you know there there are many examples of of reused timbers and yeah. and so. Um, Right. When you do a dendro uh, examination of a building, you take multiple samples, ah, and, and you don't good. just believe one sample right. because you could you could literally get one that's from a much older building. Right. I've seen so, several. There's a there's a house in Essex that uh, has a 1680 or so date on it, and it came on the market, and I went over to look at it. And it had high ceilings and everything. I thought, this, this is federal. This does not look early. We got down to the basement, and here was the most beautiful 17th century summer beam oh. holding up the house. Yeah. And then I don't know what made me look into the fireboxes and all of the uh, lintels holding up the uh, the fireplaces were all the reused, chamfered. Okay, because you wouldn't normally chamfer a beam that you'd see in the in the cellar, right? Or, or over the in the fireplace either. No so, way. So yeah. I said, that's what's left of the of 1680 house. Originally, right? Yeah. You know? Either yeah. either the house on that site or from someplace else, even. Maybe. Right. I think there might have been one on on that site, and I I know a couple of houses in Ipswich that have the same. I've I've seen that more than once with with the original beam and the most interesting one that i've seen was in abbott's book 
and and it's a Phillips house in North Andover. And it's a big Georgian house around 1750. And then there are L's going off the back. And one of the L's was turned into a two-car garage. And you go through the kitchen and into the L. And here's the most beautiful summer beam holding up the garage that you ever saw clearly early with very um, narrow joist pockets and everything and it's apparently what was left of one of simon bradstreet's houses how and, interesting and that's it and simon bradstreet was an important uh, founder of uh colonial governor colonial governor right but um abbott does in his list of of houses and the summer beam measurements and, and everything he alludes to that even that beam even though the, the house now is what gone. is a summer beam why is it called a summer beam and not a winter beam that's a good question i don't have the answer to that <laughs> i think okay. that it means it's from sommier the beast of burden uh, ah i think you're from, right because it's, it? it's a major it's a i think a lot of these timber uh, uh, term, terms are not from English, not mm -hmm. from uh, they're they're they come in from Dutch or French. So or this is a German. French term, and it it's been used. Uh, well, I th I think it means that I, what I've been told. I can't verify it. Was that it means beast of burden, and the summer beam is oh, this big it's, major. It's, it's, timber. The, it's the most major transverse timber, timber right. in the building. It's right. typically a giant. Giant oh, Interesting. Okay, well, that's uh, yeah. that explains that yeah. <laughs> Let me, better. I, I, I just want to say one more thing about sure. about confusing situations and, and dendro. Um, the a lot of the these uh, archival studies that we've been talking about will will uh, hopefully find the house, but very often each of these houses also had outbuildings and barns and mm -hmm. lots and lots of other little structures which were very often not well recorded and and not preserved mm -hmm. and however uh, they did provide uh, material for reusing and recycling right. and so very often to you, this day barn board is uh, exactly, coveted for exactly. certain kinds I of recycling i have a barn board dining room table yeah. that, that uh, from some barn around here and but uh, i've also seen bits of of um, of, of ships mm -hmm. used yeah. where uh, mm -hmm. they were just reincorporated uh, yeah. as a post or a beam or something mm -hmm. like that. Now, what are some first-period houses that we have here in Gloucester? I've got a list of 10 uh -huh. um, first-period houses, and there's a couple of interesting things about them. Uh, eight out of the 10 are plank frame construction, and they're 1,700 or after, and that's a, a whole other subject, but that seems to be what they were doing here. And Abbott Cummings also points that out in his mm -hmm. book, that Cape Ann. Um, and I think there were probably more of them elsewhere, but they they showed up here almost entirely, I think, after 1700. There were only two houses that, that I know in Gloucester that I don't... Um, well, one of them is, is in West Gloucester, and it's been dated seven, 1670 or 80. And it has a very steep pitched roof. And I don't think that it's uh, plank frame construction. And the other one that I'm not sure about is in Anasquam, the Harridan House. And I know it's had 
dendro done on it. And but I, we don't have the results yet. They don't have the results no, yet? I haven't seen them. Oh, well, I, yeah, I tried to call the, archite- um, the architect from Ipswich, and yeah. he never returned the call mm-hmm. um, because that was the other one that I thought was a candidate for being 17th century mm-hmm. or from the 1600s. And I, I don't know if it, whether you know, Bill, if it was plank framed or I, I do, I do know actually. Um, it's a very complex building, and I do think uh, parts of it were from the 1600s and were not plank framed. But the part that is, let's see, as you stand on the street and look at it, the part to the right is a uh, early 1700s edition. There, there are actually two of them. There, there, mm. there are like four or five editions. The whole yeah. thing just kept expanding in, yeah. uh, um, in a uh, east-west direction, and and the 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 corner on the right-hand side, um, the that would be the south uh, east corner. That is plank, absolutely. I, it, it's led into the 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 base plate and the top plate, just the way it's. Supposed to be, but it's not the oldest part of. of no, the that's house. not the old. So, that's not the. So that's the new part. That, that's the, that makes sense. That's the new. That edition. makes sense. So out of out of say ten, first period houses in Gloucester, um, I think I only know of those of two candidates for seventeenth century. The rest are all eighteenth century, early eighteenth, and yeah. and the later later ones have the quirk beaded right. frame. What about the White Ellery House? Well, the, the deed research on that went back to 1710, and the dendrochronology confirmed it. Ah, okay. So it's um, so it's a first period house, not yes, not 17th century, but very early 18th century. It, it's yeah. an it's a it's it's a it's an early house. It's yeah. an early house, and it's and plank framed. They and they are restoring the barn that's next to it. I think, which is a, a similar age. I think. I think they. Uh, dated that as 1740. I think it uh-huh. had it had dendrochronology. Uh, First, I, I heard 1730, but then Bill Finch, who's an, another uh, good old house person in the area, <laughs> I, it's, I think he said it was 1740. Mm-hmm. That would be an early barn. It is an early yeah. barn. Burned, they, yeah. They've all often said that there are only three first period barns mm-hmm. in Massachusetts, and one was... Oh, Hingham or somewhere on the South Shore, and this one in Topsfield, mm-hmm. or maybe it's Ipswich on the Topsfield line that was converted into a house. And there is another one on Choate Street in Essex. Mm-hmm. Um, and there may, be, there may be some more that haven't been identified. But mm. Well, um, most of the, I mean, very few of the people listening um, are in first period houses. So let's talk about second period houses, which go from 1740 to... Well, are you talking Georgian or colonial? Is it it Georgian is next and then federal? Is that it? (laughs) Okay. So the the Georgian style houses are also called second period houses? Well, the... the, It's very hard to, to make sweeping statements because you have... You have you have a wide variety of styles, um, and you have persistent styles. It's sort of the way the a cape, a so-called cape house, a cape cape houses that look recognizably like cape houses have been been built for the last three hundred years. Right, right. They're just kind of a simple way to they do it. They persist. Right. A style persists. Right. Right. And, it's and, the same in archaeology. I can say from my other experiences. Yeah. Right. And so, 
you when you, you uh, and a lot of houses may combine bits and pieces of styles. They mm-hmm. may be sort of low style, but then you have these high points where you have high Georgian and high Federalist and mm-hmm. high Greek revival and or Gothic revival or. So or if Victorian. I'm living in, if I'm living in a high Georgian house, what does it look like? Well, it would be two stories, and it would have paneled romance. It looks like the, the Davidson room in at the uh, Saunders house. Uh-huh. Y- yes, at the library, or or the uh, dining room in the Babson house at the Circle, which is as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing, uh, I somebody corrected me years ago and said, "Don't say colonial. That's not an architectural yeah. style. It's a period in history." Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, that's it's true. true. It's true. So yeah. I, I avoid that like the plague. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say, uh, or I might say, a center chimney house from the colonial period uh-huh. or a, a, an 18th century house or uh, a center entrance house and, from the colonial period. But I I avoid that word like the plague. And everybody calls it, oh, it's a colonial yeah, but, but well, and the real, you're, you're real estate right. agents you're abs- are often saying right, it's a colonial house, you know, as if that meant anything. Well, most yeah. buyers don't know either, and no. so it all makes sense. But yeah. but you're absolutely right, Prue. It it I mean the you you have a combination of things, and you have you have the 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 floor plan, the number of bays. You know, you you have a certain shape and uh, proportion of of the footprint of the building. You have the location of the chimneys. You you then have the um, a, a lot of these little details, which which are ornamental de- details, moldings and and uh, window mutton bar sizes and and paneling and all these things. A lot of those are the ones that are used to would you could use those, for example, to differentiate between Georgian and Federalist, which are closely related, but Federalist being much more simplified. Um, one, I, I've got a list of a couple of books that are. I think very useful for for people if they're trying to figure out their styles, mm-hmm. um, and it's, this is a good place to start. There's one book by John Baker from 2002 called American House Styles. Mm-hmm. There's another one called Field Guide to American Houses by Virginia McAllister from 2015, and then there's a book by Cyril Harris called American Architecture and Illustrated Encyclopedia, mm-hmm. and there are many other books too that are of the similar vein, but. These are these are very, and and there are many magazines uh, mm-hmm. that also have. So uh, this is a very good way topics. for for people to get started. Uh, aside from doing your deed, uh, your archival work or your deed study, you could consult some of these books and through visual inspection try to see um, what styles your house um, most resemble, and then. Um, then that's another starting point for more investigation. You have to kind of correlate what the deeds say yeah. with what the house looks, looks like. like. Um, one important book that is not uh, a current book is that in um, 1797, a man named Asher Benjamin oh, heard of him. did a, a <laughs> little book called yeah. The Country Builder's Assistant. Oh, and yes. that was disseminated all over New England. Mm-hmm. And people will tell you that some house up in Maine or Vermont was uh, was built by Bullfinch or Bullfinch went here, there, everywhere. But no, uh, that he introduced the, the federal style. Mm-hmm. And those little books got into the, all the hands of the country carpenters, 
and these lovely federal houses started springing up a long way from um, from Salem and McIntyre or mm-hmm. um, or Bullfinch, uh, and so now federal houses. The one the one I know of is the one that it's uh, sort of a narrow two story house made of brick. Um, was brick a popular building material in the Federalist period, or, or no? The, the um, I think brick was always a, a brick was always more expensive, mm-hmm. so um, it, it it would have been seen as a particularly in a more urbanized situation where you would it'd be more fireproof as well. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of Federalist buildings in Salem, for example, that are the rich sea captains' houses, and they mm-hmm. are. You know, they're they're as fancy as you can get, and mm-hmm. as expensive as you can get with with granite and granite trim or gra- granite details and, and mm-hmm. brick mm-hmm. Uh, facade. Interesting. When you yeah. see on an, in the interior of a federal period house, um, you have a mantle for the first time. Ah. Uh, the Georgian houses with their paneled rooms didn't have mantles ah. uh, unless they were added later, mm-hmm. which they often did. Federal um, houses had typical fireplace mantles, very pretty, with a mantle shelf mm-hmm. for the clock and the candlesticks and everything, and and that and also wainscoting. So when you see a mantle and wainscoting at windowsill height around the rooms, that's a pretty good sign that it's federal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Georgians, high style Georgians, had wainscoting, but they were it was higher, and often in in panels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that very and everybody wants their house to be older. I see houses come on the market almost every day, and they they will uh, they'll say the date will be 1780 that they've put on it and I'll look at it and it's right out of Asher Benjamin. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These, the, the impact of these pattern books all over the United States, not just for architecture, but also for landscape architecture, mm-hmm. they, they became, uh, I mean, th- this was a precursor, f- uh, 50 or 60 years later, you could buy these, these houses in a, from Sears <laughs> as a prefab building Oh, interesting. and it would be delivered by train and and you would get your your Gothic Revival cottage or Greek Revival cottage wow. in a box, and you could put it up. Wow! Um, which raises the other issue of of persistence of style, because I mean Georgian Georgian is derived from the English style, the Georgian style from the kings uh, English kings named George. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of the same time period, but. Um, you have these periodic revivals of, of styles. And mm-hmm. you very often, you, you can have a colonial, so-called colonial, which would really be a uh, revival of a Georgian-style building, let's say mm-hmm. built in the 1920s or 30s, which if you look, if you're, if you're an expert, you look at it, you go, well, that is not, <laughs> that's not an historic house. Right. It looks, it has a lot of similar details and a lot so of... So styles keep coming around. They do. It's a little bit like dress mm-hmm. styles, you know, with the long dresses and short dresses or skirt lengths or whatever, it keeps coming back around yeah. and around. Yeah. Uh, so that is a, a complication in actually trying to figure out uh, the age of your house or the style of it. Right. Um, right. Now, for, for revivals, I've heard of the Greek revival style, and I've heard of the Gothic revival style. Um, 
And are those styles that would have followed the federal period? Yes, the federal exactly. Style? Yeah, exactly. very much so. And you even had it in furniture, too. And then you even had an Egyptian revival for a brief moment. <laughs> Not too many Egyptian-style houses. There are some, but it then became very popular for funerary architecture, uh -huh. for gateways and tombs and things like that in cemeteries. Well, I think uh, Greek revival must be very easy to identify because they all they look like the Parthenon well, with that triangular front and pillars and right. things like well, that. Like the old city hall, the the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Legion, Legion building. In, oh, yeah, downtown, the Legion building is Greek Boston. revival. Perfect That's exam right. example, yeah. except that that was altered when mm -hmm. it became the Legion. So if right. you look at the... The part that's facing Washington Street, that's mm -hmm. the classic, the Greek, classic revival. Greek revival. And yeah. the, the other side was... That's facing the Joan of Arc statue. It, yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, that's, that's, that's the 20th century. <laughs> yeah, Ezra, Ezra Phillips, who's the, mm -hmm. the architect that did some much work in Gloucester, and, and he did that alteration for the Legion on, on right. that side. And Gothic revival is easy to recognize, too, because you have... Um, Pointed, pointed windows and uh, turrets and things like at uh, St. Anne's Church, for example, is a Gothic revival. You start getting little, you, you get all these little hints of, of, of Gothic. Of course, the original Gothic style would have been in stone, and so these right. are these are simplified and translated into wood. Right. For example, the Anasquam Church windows are, are pointed, yeah. which I suspect are uh, an echo of a Gothic right. revival, even right. though it's really a... a almost a federalist building. Mm. I mean, it's sort of a stripped-down Georgian-slash-federalist mm. building. Which is another example of the combination of styles um, and the addition of styles over time. Um, yeah, when I, when I saw, for example, a picture of what the Saunders house first looked like when it was first built, <laughs> totally different than what it looks like today. And interesting how it was changed over time with things being added or taken off. It's, it's um, almost a catalog, architectural yeah. catalog. Uh, it, yeah. it, it has it every, is. it has Georgian, Federalist, Italianate. Yep. The um, history of architecture yeah. is in that building. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there was any Gothic style to it. So um, now what is Italianate? I suspect that as we get up into more contemporary times, that more of our listeners will be in those houses. What's an right. Italianate house? Um, well, uh, let's see. I would think of an Italianate house is it, it has a it, it's playing off the uh, what I would call the, the, the sort of Tuscan type of uh, typically made of masonry uh, building being built in, in Italy mm -hmm. but it's being often translated into wood or, or stone sometimes and it it, it, it it grades into a into Victorian which to me isn't really a style it's a historical period but mm -hmm. it, it it has a, a it also grades grades into sort of uh, what I would with a, uh, some of these French revival uh, things that that have mansard roofs, which are again mixing and mat mixing mm -hmm. uh, of styles, where you have polychromy, you have uh, a very very high uh, high style. Uh, now, help me it, out here. Is I, it the I'm, Italianate I'm, houses that have the uh, cupolas and? Um, uh, towers or porches and balconies. Well, Porto shares, lots and yeah. lots of that. But the, you know, most of the Italianates in Gloucester are very watered down, and they'll usually have a curved window in the attic or in the second floor. You have a, 
a curved window and brackets under under the eaves, except in Gloucester, most of them are being knocked off to put the vinyl siding on oh. and they get rid of the brackets. That's, but, that's true. You do see a lot of those brackets on very simple buildings, very stripped down buildings, uh-huh. that, like in Lanesville and stuff that have these very ornate Italianate brackets. brackets. It's yeah. the only thing that survives. And some of them are lost. So, um, Bob Malinsky, who uh, is deceased, but did a lot of looking at old houses with me, um, saw somebody on Prospect Street taking off their brackets to put siding up, and he tried to stop them, and he uh, offered to pay and have his carpenter go over if they would put them back. And so it was arranged that he'd go back the next day and find out what they decided to do. And he went back, and they had decided to take the rest of them off and do the siding. Siding, oh. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a a gallant Gallant. attempt to save it. Well, and this is something that we haven't gotten to. I think we're going to have to have a second session on this topic. Um, If we continue with um, going through the sequence of styles, then the next time we come, we can focus more on how to, what steps you can take to try to preserve your house or uh, maintain its historical value, because that's another whole topic. Right. I, right. I have a, a couple of things that, that I tell everybody. Um, to preserve your house, don't, don't take out original fabric uh, of the house. Uh, leave it alone. And fabric? Meaning the... Don't what it's constructed. What it's constructed oh, of. What um, it's constructed, constructed of. Yeah. The, the don't physical get rid house. of plaster. Don't get rid of ceilings to expose beams that were mm-hmm. never meant to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think that's Im- important. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I suppose the house could be worth more after you've renovated it, but not historically or architecturally. Mm-hmm. Maybe monetarily, you can do something that would appeal to present-day buyers. Well, and this is an issue with people who come and buy old houses to flip them. Uh, They modernize them in a way that strips them of their historical character. They're really the enemy of of houses because that's the the look that people are looking for and they they sell. You know, people Mm -hmm. are gutting houses. This has been rampant in New Report, Mm -hmm. which survived so many centuries in pretty intact and now there's been an awful lot of developers mm-hmm. coming in and and if if it's the big house on the market there it's going to be condoed mm-hmm. and they're they have to meet modern codes right. and everything goes in that's the a whole another subject another subject yeah. and, and that we can mm-hmm. save for next time because there are ways to bring a historic property up to code without destroying its uh historical context and we can discuss what yeah. some of those steps are that can be taken can i just say one thing uh, sure one last thing before yes. we sign off um part of this discussion will uh, hopefully we can get into a, a discussion of the concepts of authenticity and integrity and also talk about value mm-hmm. and how you value historic properties mm-hmm. and these are important th- concepts. these are very important and very specific Abstract, concepts but very important yeah. yeah my advice is if you have an old house accommodate the old house instead of trying to make the old house accommodate you mm-hmm. with a with a huge kitchen or a mm-hmm. fireplace and a bathroom or something mm-hmm. accommodate the house instead mm-hmm. of the other way around 
And avoid things like vinyl replacement windows. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> as difficult as it is. <laughs> oh, well. So um, we, I think we have maybe five. We've been almost talking for almost an hour now. And I don't know what the patience is of the people listening to us, but we probably should um, be succinct and cut it off but um, let's just know where we are in the history of houses I think we've gotten up to just about the Civil War okay yeah, so I we're agree to that. we're in the 1860s um, and eight or 1870s which is when my house was built my house I was told was a Victorian I later found out that it's strictly a Queen Anne house no well, well I, uh, you've been in that I house have. I, I, I mean <laughs> Again, we start mixing mixing up uh, styles. Styles. I mean, with uh, coffin windows. Th- <laughs> I think there's a little Italian influence in your. Is house. that right? A okay. Bit, yeah. but but a vernacular. Vernacular. That's All right. Vernacular is the word. Yeah. 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 Okay, because you've been in it too, haven't you? So. No, I, oh, I you don't know your house at all. Oh. I, just picking up hints from what you're saying. Well, we'll have to have a party. Yes. We, we <laughs> All us architecture nerds can get together <laughs> and have a party. But um, so, okay. So in the 1860s, we get vernacular styles. Well, that's, and, again, going on from the very beginning, right. these vernacular styles. Okay. And, and a, a working man's house, right. no matter what the age, uh-huh. can be, be called, called vernacular, vernacular okay um, vernacular federal vernacular mm-hmm. georgian or i see or okay. vernacular victorian all right, all right. And, and a lot so, just had to do with how much money you had and how much right. you wanted to spend i mean a rich person would have a very high style house and a right. and a and a more humble person would have a really simple house right and the 1870s that's the beginning of the victorian era is it yes, not yes. queen victoria is in is in office and uh, well, i usually lump uh, the Italianates and the Gothic revivals uh-huh. into the Gothic revivals kind of a transition. Mm-hmm. And Man- yeah. is Mansard in that period also, or is that before? Well, you you get. I mean, Mansard was a French architect right. actually from the 1600s who was a brilliant, wow. brilliant architect who uh-huh. designed a lot of French neoclassical buildings in the oh. 16 and 1700s. A lot of these beautiful palaces and french so-called hotels urban urban mm-hmm. uh, villas basically that that uh, ended up with mansard roofs designed by mansard where you get more space in the mm-hmm. attic yeah the, the uh, there's a, an extra room or an extra floor because of the way the roof right, is right and it's a very distinguished very distinguishable very recognizable yes, style of yes. roof and there are examples in gloucester there are plenty of lots those. of there lots are, of examples and i've discovered that uh, a lot of federals, center entrance, five bay federals, got another floor added, added. in the I, attic. I researched a, a house on Prospect Street. I thought that it was going to be 1870, and I kept going back and back and back and back, and I got back to 1820, and I looked at the house and realized that it was a five bay house which the the mansards weren't necessarily that configuration, mm-hmm. and and I, I realized what had happened. It it had and had a Mansard new hat put on the top, added, a hat, right? right. right. Yep. And, yeah. And so then around that time, you start getting these conglomerations of styles, sort of like City Hall in Gloucester. And dormers, is this when dormers came in? Or? Well, you'd had dormers earlier, or, uh-huh. uh, but I'm talking about these this attenuated uh, towers. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, there was a 
things got taller. People got more money, and they started yeah. spending more money on things. It wasn't just uh, you know the bare necessities. Right, right. So. Okay, so when we come back on next next month, we will pick up with um, the 1870s on and talk about those houses and talk more about preserving the value of an old house. So this has been very interesting and educational and enlightening, certainly to me. Uh, so um, until next time, this is Mary Ellen and Bill and Prue signing off. Thank you. Thanks, Mary Ellen. <laughs>